Welcome to Birth of a Mama, a podcast for sharing stories about the experience of motherhood from birth, the moments immediately after and beyond. I'm your host, Natalie Welch, registered dietitian and mom of one energetic baby girl. Through sharing our stories and hearing the experiences of others, we can all feel heard and heal. Postpartum is forever. Postpartum is hard. And this podcast brings you the raw, honest truth. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking to Shannon Buhera and hearing her story of becoming a mom. She shares the birth experiences of her two children, both of which were nothing like what she prepared for. We talk about everything from her absolutely loving being pregnant, but having an intense lifelong fear of blood and hospitals, of course, a bit of a problem for labor and birth, to having a much longer post-C-section recovery due to an infected incision and a beautifully unique view on what it means to go through the birthing process. She even shares how she became an entrepreneur in a COVID-changed world in order to be able to stay home with her family of four and help other moms to do the same. This episode is overflowing with insights and life wisdoms, and I was personally able to relate to so much of what Shannon shared. With that, I hope you take something away from this episode just as I did. Hello, hello. Welcome to Birth of a Mama. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's start off by having you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your family. Sure. So I'm Shannon Buhera. I'm a wife. I'm a mom of two. I live right outside of Washington, D.C. with my family here. I'm a former elementary school teacher turned pediatric sleep consultant. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later of how, how that has come up. But if I'm not working, then you'll find me playing with my kiddos or planning our next vacation with my husband. I love it. So I um, actually kind of know Shannon. <laughs> yeah. I did hire you for sleep training with my own daughter and that was a lifesaver. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that as we get into, you know, your story and uh, sleep and things like that. But um, thanks so much for sharing that. So I always like to start off by asking my guests if they had to describe the transition into motherhood in just three words, which would they choose? So which would be your three words? Okay, my three words that I came up with is overwhelm, love, and life-altering. Those are good. Kind of goes like, you know, like down, up, and then like a little bit life-altering in a good way, though, but still life-altering, life-changing. My whole perspective on everything changed. My whole career ended up changing. Like, it just changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would be really shocked if it didn't, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Someone's like, no, I pretty much just stayed the same. Everything stayed the same. Nothing changed. I'd be like, what kind of child did you have? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. So how did you imagine postpartum would be before you had your first child? I feel like I was kind of focused on some of the wrong things, <laughs> planning um, for postpartum. And I would say the majority of my time spent planning was all around like birth. And I actually didn't spend enough time thinking through and planning for postpartum, especially for 
myself. I think a lot of it is spent like making sure you have the things for the baby. Um, and you know, some of that other things that you do to prepare like meal prep, um, I had a meal train set up my church and friends were going to bring me food and all that type of stuff. But I definitely did not do a lot of preparation for all the things that could really all the things that could happen during birth and how that could impact me after birth. And so um, not a lot of prep done for, for me, but I kind of imagined it to be more stressful because of the baby and did not imagine anything about it being stressful because of me and my own healing. That makes sense. And I, I think that that is a kind of recurring theme that I see here on the podcast when I talk to women about that their stories sense. is that if they did prepare at all for postpartum, because sometimes they don't even really like, it's just so much about the birth that it's easy to be like, Oh, what happens when the baby's actually here? But if they do get, get that far, it is mostly about you know, the baby and how the baby is going to affect things and what's the baby going to need. And, um, mom just gets forgotten. And that was, this is like a huge reason why I started this platform in the first place, because moms just, they they get forgotten and, and they're also being born. They're also being placed into this new life. Right. So absolutely. Even like talking, you know, before, like when you're pregnant and you're talking to your friends who have already had kids, um, everyone, it just talks about the baby and like what to expect with the baby. You know, they talk about things like sleep and uh, preparing for, uh, you know, changing diapers. And do you have this new gadget? And what kind of stroller did you get? And making sure the car seat is in right. They do talk about that stuff. But it's so much harder to talk about, like, have you thought about what it's going to be like if you have a C-section. Like nobody, none of my friends ask me that, right? Like the conversations, I don't know if it's whether it's like you want to make it more light or you don't want to like scare someone to talk about something that potentially could be viewed as like negative happening, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't almost want to like wish that upon someone or like put that out into the universe that that might happen to them. But, you know, all a lot of the conversations for me and, I, you know, I, I'm sure that you've heard some of this these themes coming up um, too is like we do before we talk about the baby, we plan for the baby. Um, and we don't even, not even that we're not planning a lot for ourselves, but we don't even talk about it that much. I feel like it's becoming more acceptable to talk about it. More people are really open about it on social media, especially after like sharing their story. But I think also like we need to talk about it more just like with our friends that are pregnant and have no idea um, of like what it, could be like, but then I, I find myself, I find it to be a little difficult to have those conversations with some of my friends because for the same reasons, it's like, so I don't want to scare you that my birth was a little traumatizing and maybe yours will be too. But also I wish somebody would have told me this, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. That is such a good point that you just made. And I was actually going to ask you like, why do you think that is? It is not talked about what's going to happen to us as the birthing person, right? Like what is birth actually going to be like? What is possible. There's so many possibilities. No one, no two births are the same, right? So it's like, right. it's hard to compare and it's not really about comparing, but rather sharing an experience because this happened to me and something along those lines or a variation of this could happen to you. And like you said, I would have loved to have been more prepared in that way of just knowing. Yeah. And I feel like I did prepare. I've listened to so many birth stories. I did, you know, so much prep in that way. And I feel like I was, I was still shocked with the whole experience of birth and 
nothing even like, I don't know. For me, it's hard to say, oh, it was traumatizing, but like it kind of was, even though it was a totally normal physiological birth. It was just, it was a lot. It's intense. But these are the things we don't talk about and we don't share even with our closest friends. And it's like, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we holding back? Why are we sugarcoating? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not serving any of us. So it's like, why do we do it? That's like the golden question. And it might, it probably is kind of what you've been touching on of like, we don't want to seem negative. We don't want to put this energy out there. We don't want to like <laughs> jinx something or whatever, yeah. even though that's obviously exactly. not how this works. But it, it's just this weird taboo thing that has a like stigma, but like kind of doesn't have a stigma. And it is kind of we are we are getting to that point where we are talking more about it, which I, I'm I'm all about that and I love it. But we're still in this space, even as people who are in the parenthood, birth, whatever, motherhood space, like you and I different different reasons but still in that space mm-hmm. we still each struggle like when you were saying I still find it hard when I'm talking to my friends to to like kind of be honest in that way I feel the same way even though here I am you know running a whole podcast about it basically but then on one-on-one like private conversations it still feels hard to really open up and share those things that can be viewed as negative and I think it that that's like the only reason is because people are like oh why you you know why you got to be so negative or why is, why is it has to be, you know, but it's like, well, this is just my experience. Like it's not to be negative. It's to share the truth and the reality of it. Because I think that that social media is a big reason why I think a lot of us just media in general, even not social media movies, TV, even before Mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram and TikTok existed, we see what we think it's going to be like versus compared, you know, like they show us what, what it, what it's going to be like, but it's all fake. Like that's just media. That's not real life. But of course we're going to, we love comparing and we love setting expectations on our head because we're human and we like to be, we like to know what to predict and like, you know, what to expect, but then you're hit with your own experience and it's usually totally different than what you might've thought. So I agree. All that to say that I think that you're not, you know, the odd one out for having <laughs> not prepared entirely for how you were going to be affected by this experience of, you know, birth. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, by the way, it's amazing that you, you had the meal train, that you had that, that support and that kind of resource set up because I talked to so many women who are like, food was such a struggle. I was grabbing like granola bars and, you know, you don't have the energy and the time to be cooking meals for yourself and nutrition is so important. So love that you had, had that, um, that support? Was there there anything else that you had lined up? I'd say the other thing that was most helpful is we planned for my mom to come stay with us. Uh, And that was kind of open-ended. She was going to, you know, come for a couple of weeks and see how how that went. And that was really, really helpful. And, uh, you know, having that conversation with her ahead of time too about we want to be spending a lot of the time you know, holding the baby, being with the baby, doing all the baby stuff. But like, if you could come in and just help with whatever, we don't even know that we're going to need help with, but we assume we might need help with heating up those meals (laughs) or, you know, cleaning something and just holding the baby so that I can take a shower, those types of things. Um, So that was something we had kind of planned for, talked about. And I'm so, so glad that we did. Like, I felt like we needed her and I, I would say like the next level up would be is if we got a postpartum doula, I didn't have one with, with either of my 
births, but it's kind of like one of my like regrets is like, I feel like I should have. And when I hear other women talk about their experience with either a birth doula or a postpartum doula, I do think I would have benefited from that. But I think one step down from that is having like a mother or a mother-in-law or a friend that can come stay with you for a little bit. So had my mom and that was super, super helpful in postpartum. Yeah. I'm so glad you had that. And so like so many people don't have family nearby or don't have, you know, that physical someone being there support and right. it makes a world of difference. And I am such an advocate for postpartum doulas, all doulas, birth doulas, um, yes. postpartum though, honestly, like if someone is struggling financially and they don't know where to put their money, I would al- almost say postpartum. Um, if you have a partner that's really involved and supportive, I think that, th- that dynamic is, could be enough for a, a birth that goes well. Um, and then, you know, save the money for postpartum, especially if there isn't family nearby. Cause yeah, like you said, having your mom there for all those little mundane things that we don't even think about are going to become so much harder once we have to take care of this little one. So, right. Yeah. I'm so happy that you had that. Yeah, absolutely. I would even say too, for if, if people are able to put like on your, uh, registry, raising money for a postpartum doula, that's something I, I think I would have done differently if I could go back. And now I recommend to friends to do that is because now a lot of registries too, you can put like, you know, some type of cash fund for something. That's what I think people should be like, spend less money on the stroller, like less money on like the fancy crib, get like the regular crib and more money on like emotional support and physical support. So that's where I would reallocate those funds if I could go back. Oh my gosh. Amen, sister. I'm sitting over here like clapping like yes in my head because you are so on point with that. Like we think, I think I saw a meme or something on social and it was like all the things you think you need for postpartum. And it's like, you know, you're, you're decorating the nursery and you're getting all the cutest like pottery barn, like whatever, things that don't matter that your baby is not going to remember that you're probably not even going to remember unless you look back at photos versus like, here's all the things that you actually need. Like, sleep support, like someone to cook you food, like, you know, probably like a massage at some point, like all these healing, you know, supportive things and and emotional processing of the birth and just like becoming a mom, especially if this is the first time, all those things that we don't, we're not like, isn't portrayed that those things are important. No one's out there like advertising that this is like the fun part of being pregnant and becoming a mom. It's not the fun part, but logistically it's actually the most important part. So yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think even, even after birth, like into motherhood too, like the idea of if you're able to spend money on things, like why are we okay with spending so much money on things? But then we, we put up these blockers of like spending money on services. Cause I know I was like that. And I've like now since I'm in the industry of like providing the coaching and the service and I realize like how life changing it is now I'm so much more open and willing and understanding too in like other areas of my life of, I don't need that thing, but I could really use a coach for this goal. Right. Like even like in any other aspect of your life too, not just motherhood, just the idea of, someone to help you, someone to help you through it or them to do it themselves, like like a service over the thing. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, (laughs) I think motherhood, was kind of like a gateway for me into, into realizing that too. Yes. Me too. Exactly. A lot of it isn't our fault. It's, it's our society. It's the way that our world is. It's very materialistic. We are raised to value physical, tangible things. We're not raised to value. We don't like tipping. We don't like, like we don't value services. We don't think that they're worthy of our money. I don't know what it is, if it's because we don't have this physical thing to look at and appreciate or something. But it, I think that, yeah, once you once you go through the process of like pregnancy and birth and all that, so much about your view on the world and life in general changes. And I think you yes. can come to appreciate the fact that, yeah, someone who's sitting there and even like you said, whether they're supporting you doing something or they're doing it for you 100%, that is priceless. That is invaluable. Like, I... I don't know. I wish that I could have <laughs> come to that realization without having to become a mom. Not that being a mom is a bad thing, but just that it took me this long in my life to to realize that and to value sure. services because they are so much more valuable than physical things. But yes. it's like it's just a mindset thing, right? Like we we don't it doesn't click until it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it sometimes it takes a drastic change in your life, which motherhood would definitely count as. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with that, let's segue into, you know, how was your first pregnancy and then how did your first birth go? So my first pregnancy was pretty smooth as far as the pregnancy went. I did not have any morning sickness. I I had the fatigue in the first trimester. And other than that, like I was feeling really good. I loved being pregnant. I also like was, am someone who loved having the belly because I'm naturally like a, a chubby person. And so I never like really felt comfortable wearing tight clothes, like basically my whole life. And then here I got this belly that's like now cute. And so I, for the first time in my life, I'm like loving wearing like tight form fitting clothes that show off the belly. So like I was all about like being pregnant, loved it. The biggest challenge for me was mentally preparing for birth. And part of that is because I have had a blood phobia for my entire life. Um, Since I was about six, that was the first time that I passed out from seeing a little tiny drip of blood on my finger. Since then, I've passed out like 12 to 15 times in my life. And even when I don't pass out, I can get like really sick or have like a panic attack from seeing blood or even from like hearing someone talk about something that sounds really realistic to me um, or like watching even like a really gruesome scene in a movie. But specifically, if it's like a documentary, like it's true, like if it's a real thing. I have an issue with that. So as you can imagine, that has been difficult over the course of my life in general, um, having to deal with blood at different times in my life in different ways. Um, And I was really scared about passing out while giving birth. I was really scared about like having a panic attack like while being in labor um, and just different things like that. And like, so what my birth experience would be like because of that. Um, and also in relation to that, I I kind of have like a fear of hospitals as well, but I absolutely did want to have a hospital birth. And part of it was because I have so much fear around like anything that could happen. Um, and so like for me, I definitely wanted to be right there in a hospital, but I also hate hospitals and hate um, stitches. I have a fear of stitches. So like 
like I would basically would make like the worst nurse or doctor ever could not do anything in the medical field. <laughs> terrible. So yeah. I was just so fearful. And so a lot of my planning outside of like physical things and like the basic getting things ready was like talking to people and just like crying with my husband about like, oh my God, I think like I'm going to have a panic attack and it's going to be horrible and um, all, all of this. So that was like the big negative part of, of my pregnancy, but overall I felt good, smooth, and there was nothing like stressful during the pregnancy. Um, and then as I got closer to my due date, my anxiety was definitely kind of uh, revving up there as well. That sounds like it would be hard. <laughs> it sounds like your pregnancy went really well. All you know, it was all just like mental, which yes. isn't. I mean, I think fear is totally normal in this whole process. So, right. like, but you know, those are very specific fears. I feel like, like, did you have to work through that with anybody? Like, did you see a therapist? Were you diagnosed with any kind of prenatal anxiety? Do you are you already prone to anxiety or? I'm not, and really. My anxiety is very much just around that. Um, so my big thing was like talking with my doctors. And I also was like, I'm, I feel really connected to my um, OBGYN. And her, she like, I felt like she understood me and knew me by that point. Um, and then I had a lot of fear too around that it wasn't going to be, as we all do, that it wasn't going to be her who was going to be doing the birth. And so every time I was trying to meet with the other doctors, I was trying to like give them a rundown. I'm like, but like also knowing, do they even remember like everyone they talked to? So it was like the first big thing on my birth plan and stuff too. But I'm just like reminder that like, so I want to tell you, I have this fear and, and what that meant for them too. So for me, it meant like making sure people knew that advocating for myself. Cause all my life I've had to, like when I get blood drawn, I have to, just so you know, I'm going to look away. I might get really I'm sick after, like, I'll let you know if I need to stay here and lay down and have someone come pick me up or if I can drive myself home. Like, I've always had to kind of prepare for that. But this is like to an extreme, right? So having to like, tell the doctors, like, if you can also, because some of it is also language, right? So like, if you can use the the minimal language that I need to know for my safety, um, because, you know, I would give them examples like of, um, I was really worried about tearing and I was worried that I was going to like just have my baby. And then they're going to tell me something like, okay, this is a, this is a bad tear. Like you're going to need a lot of stitches. And then I would pass out from them telling me that. So I was like, had to have all these conversations with doctors too, about what, can I not know just so I can get through the experience and you tell me later, what can you just tell my husband? What will I need to know like medically? Because like you'll need my permission to do things. So all these like little kind of nuances of the birth that maybe some other people don't need to think about as much. I was trying to think about in advance and have those conversations with my doctors. And even like when I was in the hospital, having the conversations with the nurses and things too, who I had never met before, just trying to like set myself up for success in case anything like that happened. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so important to know yourself on that level and be able to advocate for yourself because you have to in the hospital setting, any oh, kind yes. of, you know, medicalized setting. They deal with so many people like on a hourly basis even and nurses in the hospital when you're giving birth have 
multiple moms that they're dealing with, right? So it's at least usually, maybe not always, like you could get lucky and have a lot of one-on-one attention, but you know, you, you really have to speak up for yourself. I think that's why a lot of people do want like a birth doula. And it's yeah. sometimes it's hard to get your husband on that same page and super involved to the level that you are because it's your body and you're the one that has to go through this experience. And when things happen, they're happening to you. So I love that you were so in tune with yourself that you're like, hey, you know what? This is a fear that I have and this is going to become real because I'm going to be birthing a child and there is blood involved and I might need stitches and all these things that I have a fear of are going to happen to me. You know, like it is not avoidable really. Like in most cases, um, a lot of women tear and we might, you know, get into that when we talk about your birth. But yeah, um, the the positive side, I guess, of that is that you knew yourself well enough to like speak up and ask for what you needed. And hopefully you got that, which I'm sure we'll get into. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did, how did that birth end up going? Um, okay. So I ended up being induced uh, a week after my due date, um, basically due to like um, she was running out of space, low fluid type of thing. Like we can't push it too many more days. So I was told that I had to be induced. The positive of that was I was able to, like they were saying I had like two days, like I could decide like tomorrow or the day after. And then after that, like it'd be kind of risking, be too risky to keep waiting. And so I was able to plan my induction so that the doctor that I loved and was obsessed with could be my doctor. So I was like, okay, this is a positive. This is great. There is not that like that time that I was really imagining where it's, you know, that you go, you start feeling these contractions at home and and laboring at home. And like none of that experience happened, but I was perfectly okay with that. I was like, yeah, let's pack our bags. We have a time. We got to go to the hospital. This is great. And then, so it was an evening that I went in and was induced. And I always was planning to get an epidural to help me through all I couldn't imagine on top of all that anxiety, trying to have an unmedicated birth. I also just have like a low pain tolerance. It's probably in relation to all of that, but I was not even going to try that. So uh, that was my plan to, to get the epidural. I was in labor for a long time. It had been about 24 hours or so, even with being induced. And they had already brought up like, so at some point we're going to have to talk about a C-section. And I was like, oh no, like I do not want a C-section. Like what else can we do? Let's keep this moving. Like whatever you need me to do, whatever else needs to happen so that I don't have a C-section. Because for me, with my fears, C-section is like the worst. Like I would, like I had the fears around the tearing and everything like that. But C-section is like the worst of the worst because that's surgery while being awake, like, so knowing that is happening, just knowing that it's happening to my body, I'm like, I'm just going to be passed out, I guess, during this birth. And then the fact that I would have stitches and were, I was just like, this is, the, that's the worst thing. So if anything else, they're like, okay, let's see. Then my daughter's heart rate started jumping up and down. And so they were just like monitoring it really closely and had been like another hour or so after that. All of a sudden, there's a lot of beeping, and then there's like 12 to 15 nurses or medical staff all ran into my room at once and surrounded me, and I had no idea what was going on at all. Still in the moment, like I just like didn't know what was happening until like five minutes later when like a few left, and my doctor like explained 
that, uh, you know, the baby's heart rate had gone um, like high and then really low and slow to the point of like, now you need a C-section. Like it's not going to kind of like, it's not really a choice now. You know what I mean? It's before it's like, let's have this discussion and see how you feel. And now it was like, you're going to have a C-section. Let's start planning everything. And I was just a mess. I was just like sobbing hysterically, like no, because I had not mentally prepared enough for that to be an option. I wasn't mentally prepared that day to go, like I was mentally prepared to go in and have birth. And I regret that I wasn't mentally prepared to go in and have a C-section when I should have. I felt like I should have prepared for that more. So then it was, you know, pretty fast moving experience. I actually had my husband run out to the car and get his headphones because uh, of my fears. I didn't want to hear what was going on in the C-section. I don't want to hear the doctors talking to each other or any uh, thing that happens during a surgery. The sounds, I just, I don't even know what it is to this day, but I don't want to know what it sounds like. So he ran out to the car and um, got his headphones so that I could be listening to music uh, during the C-section. And actually, as he was going out and, and getting those, that's when like the doctor came in and is like, we've got to get this like going. Like we've, we have the, the OR room ready to go. Um, and let's get going. So the, I had a perfectly normal C-section birth of my daughter. It was definitely very traumatic for me. And the weirdest thing, the other thing that like no one told me about before, and then I found out later that this was very normal. So I just wish people talked about is uh, my body was shaking extremely bad um, to the point like my upper body all throughout the entire surgery that lasted like about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. My upper body was shaking terribly to the point of it being extremely painful. Oh it was gosh. actually like more um, uncomfortable than the lower half of my body was like feeling the pulling and the tugging down there. It, my upper body being out of control was actually more uncomfortable. I also think that entire thing was very traumatic. Not, I think I know it was very traumatic to my husband as well to, to see me going through that and to see me so fearful. Um, but as far as the actual birth went, it was like a normal C-section that went well and I had a happy, beautiful daughter. So that part ended and went okay. And then we got into the the recovery part. But I would definitely label my birth in my own mind as traumatic <laughs> to myself. Yeah, that sounds traumatic. I think having my body shaking uncontrollably during a major surgery would be terrifying. Let me add a little tip in there for, <laughs> for your listeners that I learned not until later. So I didn't get to use it for that birth. But this is actually something that happens quite commonly and especially more common in C-sections, I found out. And if you stick your tongue out, it actually will help. And I don't remember the whole science around it, but it, I think it was an anesthesiologist that ended up telling me that. And it is, it is true. With the shaking, it helps with the shaking. It helps with the shaking. Wow, okay. I'm not sure what it is, but if you like completely try to stick your tongue out, it can relieve some of that. Hmm, that's so cool. It's so interesting how the body works like that. It makes me yeah. think of like pressure points for headaches, and it's got to be something like that. It's some yeah. type of like it triggers some movement somewhere else. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder. 
so so that's normal to have a shaking response like that probably yes. from all the anesthetics running through your body yeah it's a mix of like the adrenaline yeah and like other hormones like a big hormones changing like it's just like a natural response but again I had never heard of that happening. Wish somebody would have told me that I might be like, cause then it was also making it worse by me being like, what is going on with my body? Right. And then like, I mean, at the time there were some nurses telling me like, this is normal. It's okay. They were trying to put like weighted blankets and some stuff mm-hmm. on me to make it stop. But like everything just fell off. <laughs> oh my but. gosh. Oh my God. Yeah. So I've heard of the shaking with an epidural, you know, like in a, you know, in a vaginal birth, but never in the C-section. So I learned something new today. Good to know that that's normal, but still freaking terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Even though something is normal, it doesn't mean it's not scary and it can't be traumatizing. So For I sure. just like putting that out there because I think that a lot of women have like a normal either C-section or vaginal birth or whatever you want to call it, quote unquote normal textbook, nothing goes wrong per se. And it's still really scary. Like it can still be traumatic and that is valid. So I just like, I want to put that out there. Did you get to process your birth? with anybody afterwards or was it just kind of something that you and your husband talked yeah. through? Cause it sounds like, like you said to him having to watch you and not being able to do anything. Yeah. That's also a trauma. For sure. I mean, it definitely impacted, uh, cause I went on to have, and I'll share in a moment about some postpartum challenges as well. Um, and just as a whole, it definitely impacted like me and also our, our plans for our future and our number of children, like it impacted our lives for sure. And um, my husband is absolutely amazing, extremely supportive and someone that I can talk uh, totally openly and honestly about that type of thing. So I've processed it with him. He's processed his feelings with me. And, uh, but it's still, I, I, it's still there. Right. And it's like what you said, someone else going through that exact same C-section might've felt okay about it. Like a little, I mean, all births, I think all births are in, in a way can be traumatic. Right. But like for me and who I was in my background and the fears that I had going into it, it's like a lot of it felt very like, this is horrible. And the only reason that I can say like, but it was normal and it was fine is because my baby was healthy. And so that's, I was able to get through it and and got that, but I never think that just because you know we have a healthy baby that doesn't take away from our trauma and the experience. Yes, and I'm glad that you brought that up because of course that's what we all want, right? At the end of it, we right. would just want to all have a healthy baby and also be <laughs> as healthy as we can be as well as the, as the the mom, right? But that doesn't mean, like you said, just because baby does come out healthy and everything goes well according to like if you read in a textbook like this is how a c-section goes this is how a vaginal birth goes physiologically that does not mean that it was not still a hardship or a trauma or something that you experienced that was exactly really hard for you to go through and it's like it's like things like that I love that you said that every birth can be and you know like could be considered traumatic, even the the physiological normal C-sections and vaginal births, because I 100% agree with that statement. But I think putting that out there, some people would be like, oh my gosh, how could you say that birth is beautiful and birth is, you know, all the things that they might say that give it this halo, I guess. Right. And I also 
I agree that for people, it can, every birth can be this beautiful, magical experience too. Like, yeah, I'm sure some people have had C-sections that they felt were beautiful and magical. I don't personally relate to that. Like to me, it's like birth is something, even before I gave birth to me, I connect with birth is something that I have to go through to get the children that I want to have for my whole life. Honestly, this is going to be a little controversial to say, but I'm okay going there because I'm only speaking for myself. If someone would have said, you know, okay, this could be your birth plan that we just give you some type of anesthesia to be completely asleep. And then you wake up with a baby in your arms. Would you be okay with that? I'd be like hundred percent. Where do I sign? If, if it's healthy for my baby, where do I sign? I don't, I was, I'm never someone that's like, I needed a certain type of birth experience because I was already traumatized by the idea of it. So for me, it, it's not even about like the experience for me. <laughs> and, and I think sometimes too, we, we may, maybe I manifested that, that ha- because, you know, my births were a little traumatic for me as I expected them to be. But I also can a hundred percent understand that some people cannot relate to what I'm saying. Some people are going to be like, what the hell is she talking about? Because, you know, I, my birth was, was beautiful and it was everything I imagined. And it was so like loving and connecting and like empowering. And if someone experienced that, I love that for them. And I love hearing those stories too. I'm like, wow, that sounds like such an amazing experience. I just cannot relate to you. Like we both had a child come out of us and that's the only part I could relate to in those types of stories. Yeah. It's controversial, but I'm so glad you said it because (laughs) Just like we're all unique people and individuals that come from different backgrounds, different cultures, we have different traditions. Yeah. All of that makes up who we are as individual people. And that's going to affect the birth experience we have on top of how we just perceive how it goes. There's so many factors that go into why our experience is beautiful or traumatic, or maybe it's a little bit of both. Yes. I I actually wrote down like a couple of things you said verbatim because I'm like, this is so powerful. I'm an advocate for all of this and sharing all sides and facets of what birth and motherhood can and does look like because I wish that I had had more of that as I was preparing. So Mm. thank you so much for sharing. That was was really powerful (laughs) and profound and I controversial for sure. Some people are going to resonate and some people aren't. And that's okay. That's the whole point of this. Right. And I think too, that's what makes it a little less controversial though, is because I'm not in any way saying other people need to feel that way. I think everyone should be okay with like how they, their birth went and what it meant to them. And for some people it, like I'm saying, it doesn't necessarily need to be like this glorified moment if it wasn't that to you like that's okay if it was just like it sucked but I still got this which made it amazing because of what it gave me because that's what I I feel like I still think my birth was amazing but the experience I mean it was horrible it was horrible and that's we'll, we'll go into this next about um you know talking about like what happened next because it absolutely impacted our plans for our our future family as well, because it was like that horrible (laughs) experience. Yeah, no, that's such a good, all of this is like so many good points. Like the fact that your experience doesn't have to be relatable to somebody else just because you had that experience doesn't mean that someone else has to then take that. It's not a personal attack on anyone else. Like this is just your experience. So, right. Yeah. So, so how was recovery for you? Like how, you know, let's start with like obviously immediate. So you, you have your baby, you go into a different room and, and you recover. And then how was like going home and all of that? 
Yeah, immediate recovery was very difficult for me. Um, first, I struggled with breastfeeding, even though I really wanted to breastfeed. I did go on to breastfeed successfully, actually for three years. I breastfed my daughter for three years successfully, but the first couple of weeks and even those first feeds, those first moments in the hospital were really, really difficult and stressful um, to the point where um, I had like bleeding nipples and had to pump and do just bottle feeding for a few days just to let my nipples heal and then try again to do a breastfeeding. So that added to the stress as well as, and I know a lot of people can relate to the early breastfeeding struggles. Um, so that added to it. Um, and then the, the physical recovery for me, and I know it is a little more difficult for C-sections, but even that can really range. And I had trouble physically. I had trouble sitting up. I had trouble standing up, walking. They actually, they kept me in the hospital one extra day than what would have been normal. I was in the hospital for about five full days to recover. And it took me until like the fourth day to get out of the bed. Um, And like, I really, really had trouble just like walking to the bathroom. Like I felt like I was hit by a bus and just got out of a full body cast or something like that. Like I felt terrible. Um, And so I really, really struggled with that. Um, Mentally, I think I was actually doing pretty good considering all of that. I was still like, you know, just loving cuddling with my daughter and the support that I had from my husband and him doing everything that he needed to do was amazing. So mentally I was, I was okay, but I was already in this like, why did nobody tell me this could happen? Like, why did why did nobody prepare me for the possibility of feeling like this, of going through that? I didn't hear enough of those types of stories. I didn't, I actually felt like I didn't know it could actually be this bad because so many women have done this for how long? How many women, how many years have gone through this? How could it be this bad? Because how, how do we have so many children in the world? How do, we have, how do we have so many people in the world if it was this horrible? And of course, that goes back to not every experience is like mine. Um, and not everyone feels like that right after. But that is is how I felt. And my husband as well was like, um, yeah, I don't know about I don't know about that plan to have three kids, how that's going to happen. But because we were like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine. Already right away, I was thinking, I couldn't imagine ever doing this again. That's like how how bad it was physically. And then fast forward a little while, um, I was still having trouble recovering and I was feeling pain and discomfort in my actual incision site. And I ended up um, having to go in, you know, normally you go in six week postpartum visit or whatever. Um, I went in about three weeks because I was concerned about my incision and I did have an infection. So my incision itself was infected and was not closing up properly. And so that was causing uh, a lot of pain. And, but in addition to the pain, once I had that meeting with the doctor um, and a ton of pain in the what they were doing to try to help it during those visits was extremely painful. But more so than the pain there was mentally them telling me that if it doesn't heal within like, you know, X amount of weeks, we're going to keep monitoring it very closely. There's the potential 
that they would have to basically redo the incision. They would have to cut it again, research it again, like go in there, get whatever they need to get out, out of the infection. And mm-hmm. the idea of them possibly needing to do that again, that type, I mean, obviously it's not a whole, whole surgery again, but just needing to do that again, that is what really started like mentally weighing on me, the fear. So it was like, I then felt very consumed for actually the next months, um, I was very consumed by trying to heal myself and like having, I also couldn't look at it myself um, until it was further along healed or I felt very, very sick. Um, so a lot of that also weighed on my husband to look at it, see the doctor said to look for, look out for this, look out for this, you know, and that's all on my husband to like look at it. And he's like, I think it's looking a little better. But my incision was not fully closed until four months postpartum. Um, and luckily I did not need to go get anything else done. It was just a very long physical, like technically long recovery for the incision itself, um, which also just made it difficult. Like I, I luckily had a nice long for the U S standards, a nice long maternity leave of, of six months. Um, or it was, it was about like, it was like five months. It was five months. Um, and, but the first four months, <laughs> I felt like I wasn't physically myself and definitely not like mentally where I wanted to be because I was just constantly worried about that. So it wasn't necessarily this, any like postpartum depression or, um, you know, any type of postpartum mood disorder in that sense. But it was just like a little bit consuming me the fear of like the physical surgery again. So that is why my postpartum experience was so difficult. It was like my physical recovery. Everything with my daughter was, was wonderful and normal and beautiful. And I loved it. And, um, but my own physical recovery was really difficult. And again, back to the same theme of like, I just didn't even know that was possible to, I didn't even know that they, that sometimes that happens that in C-sections, sometimes that you can get infections and what that could cause. Like I had never even heard of that. I think it's a really good point when we talk about preparing for birth too. It's like making sure that we prepare for all the possibilities, even if our plan is like to have a vaginal birth with an epidural or whatever. It's like, you just never know what can happen. So being educated on like, if you need a C-section, like, what is that going to look like? How do you want it to go? Like, what, how is the healing process going to be different? Are you going to need extra support, which usually is the case? Yes. But that's a, it's a pretty remarkable to me that you had so much in terms of physical healing, like more so than maybe, you know, someone else's birth. And yet mentally you were able to really stay, it sounds like in a, a fairly good place. Like you were able to like enjoy your daughter and it wasn't taking away from, from the bond or like, you know, just enjoying being with her and and being a mom. Because I, I think that a lot of times, at least with PPA, PPD, you know, postpartum mood disorders, that is a huge piece of it is that there's yeah. this lack of connection and this feeling of, I don't really know this other little person and I don't want to know them or I have no desire or there's just like this piece that feels like it's missing. So that's pretty remarkable that even with all of that that you went through, which is a lot and really scary. And then on top of it, of course, you have a fear of like a lot of these things that go with it um, that mentally, mentally and emotionally, it sounds like you were you were doing okay for the most part. 
Yes, I was. And, um, you know, some of that is things that are completely with outside of our control, right? I'm, I'm grateful that it just, that wasn't part of my story. Um, but also having not only like my husband that was very supportive, having my mom be able to come, she ended up coming back and staying for even longer. Um, so that was really beneficial. And then getting to have a longer maternity leave. At that time, I was still an, a teacher and I had like just saved up so many days and was able to figure out how to get the longest maternity leave because I couldn't imagine if I had to return to work after four months when like literally my incision had just closed up, right? Like, so, you know, a lot of people return after 12 weeks, 16 weeks. And so, you know, there's a lot of things about postpartum in, in my experience that I'm extremely grateful for because, you know, if I were to not have some of these other things in place, I, I think that the toll that would have taken on me mentally, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what that would have resulted in. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think there's a level of postpartum mood issues, anxiety, depression, psychosis, what have you, that are solely biological. And some people are just going to be more predisposed, especially those who have struggled with any mental health issues prior to becoming pregnant and, you know, having a baby. But it's also highly, highly, highly circumstantial. Like what's happening in your life? What kind of support do you have? Are you healing from a very traumatic C-section with an incision that isn't (laughs) closing up? Like like your story, right? So these things I think are going to make people more susceptible to it. But having that support, I think sounds like for you was really key. And I'm just so, so glad you had that because so many women don't get it. So um, yeah. It's, it's a huge piece. And if I could have, if I could change one thing for all women or like ensure one thing, it would be that they have some, some level of support, whether it's a really supportive husband that's willing to get his hands dirty and willing to listen and willing to participate or a postpartum doula or family that's nearby that can physically and mentally come and give all of themselves to help you for a certain amount of time. All that stuff is just so important. Yes, Absolutely. And really glad that you had that longer maternity leave. So smart. If I could also give another piece of advice to listeners is like what you did, save up as much time. And that kind of goes into like the planning for postpartum. How can you use your time to the best of your ability? Um, my personal opinion is that maternity leave in the U.S. is shit. <laughs> and if we look at other countries... It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> we could probably talk about that for an entire podcast episode of oh how it's gosh. ridiculous totally and stupid. And other that. people in other countries, they I feel like they just like laugh at us. It's just ridiculous. But anyways, yeah, yeah, they look at us and they're like, what are these doofuses doing? But yeah, anyway, that could be a whole, <laughs> that could be a whole podcast episode. So... Um, um, so, so how did it go? Like once you went back to work, you finally got healed up after four freaking months. That is incredibly long. Um, you had about a month after that. It sounds like to hopefully enjoy yourself a little bit more in terms yeah. of comfort and pain, um, with your, with your daughter and your husband. And then, um, what did it look like when you went back to work? You were still breastfeeding, of course, cause you amazingly succeeded for three years. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes. Um, So it was (laughs) interesting timing. Um, As a teacher, I went back to work in person for two weeks and then COVID happened. So that was, I went back like beginning of March, (laughs) um, right around that 2020, 2020. And so Then I was working from home as a teacher and of course, horrible circumstances in the world. We, we, I 
we also don't need to get into that on this podcast, but uh, the silver lining for my family personally is I was able to have some flexibility and be home. I was working for an amazing school that was very understanding of um, you know, moms that were teaching from home and didn't have childcare. And so I was able to, you know, sometimes I was teaching like holding my daughter and sometimes I was, you know, ending class with my third graders at 2.30 instead of 3.15 because I needed to go nurse her and then put her down for her nap and I wasn't going to have my kids just like wait on Zoom. So there was a, a lot of this flexibility in being home with her, um, even though we spent... And probably someone can relate to this, spent so long trying to find the perfect daycare, right? The perfect childcare and buying all of the things that you need to make sure. And then she was in daycare for two weeks um, and then came home, never went back. So um, that was our experience then. And then me being home with her during my maternity leave and then being home while I worked, it is what made me think, what other job could I do where I could stay home? Like I, I wanted to keep working and also my family needed me to keep working financially, but I didn't really want to return back to the class. I continued to teach a whole nother school year virtually. Um, and then the following year, it was time to go back into the classroom. And like, I really didn't want to, even though I had been a teacher for eight years now, a successful teacher, like it was definitely part of my identity being a teacher, but that, that time wanting to be home with my daughter and then the sleep aspect of, uh, you know, my daughter hitting that four month sleep regression hard. That was right after like, you know, things had started feeling better with me and then her sleep started falling apart and started diving deep into options for sleep training and sleep science and well, what options are there if you're not going to just like leave them to cry it out for as long as it takes? Is there any other options? And I got really, really interested in sleep. And so that is where things started to kind of align of, well, maybe I could start this side hustle as a sleep consultant because I didn't even know that was a thing until all my Google searches of like how to help my daughter. And over time was able to turn that into something that allowed me to quit my teaching job and stay home with my daughter. That is, I see, I learned something new about you, that that was something that came out of you having your own, you know, child and struggling yes. with sleep because it is such a struggle and it is so important. So I think that that story is really beautiful. And I love that you were able to do that for yourself and realize like, hey, and I think COVID did this for a lot of us, right? Like COVID yeah. made us realize how, like what's really important in our lives. And exactly for most people, it's not work. <laughs> it's your family, really right? Want, yeah, it's not work. What we really want our lives to look like. And if it is, has to do with work, what do we want to do for that work? Like, right. and, and the idea of like na now more than ever is like a great time to decide to like take a risk, take a leap, make a change. Like everyone just started, like that was okay to do. Cause for so long it was like, yeah, I'm Shannon, the elementary school teacher. That's like what I've been. That's what I'm known for. Like that's, that's what I am. And so if, I, if you take that part away from me and I feel like what allowed me to take the leap is like, well, now I more feel like I'm Shannon, the mom, 
like that was a higher level identity for me than teacher. And I feel like that's almost what gave me the permission to be like, are you teaching just because like, that's what you thought you would do and you're pretty good at it. Like kids like you, like, are you, is that why? Or like, do I love it? Do I like get up and want to do it? Do I feel like that's where I'm meant to be and I'm going to have my biggest impact? And like the answer was no. And like coming to that realization, I feel like motherhood gave me permission in combination a little bit with COVID kind of forcing us to look at our lives more seriously, deeply and look at, you know, when you're stuck at home for for weeks and weeks at, at a time, like you're stuck to look at like, well, what is this life that I'm living and I was living and, and even post COVID, like, what do I want it to be? Do I want to go back to that? And me saying like, no, I actually don't want to go back to that. And now's the better time than ever to kind of take a risk on myself. Um, Cause more than just being a sleep consultant, that also meant I was being an entrepreneur. Like I was starting a business. I was working for myself, no steady paycheck, no benefits anymore. Um, something that teaching gave me. And so it was a big transition happening right after a big transition into motherhood. Yeah, you, oh my God, I just, I love everything you just said so much. You put that so beautifully that COVID and motherhood are almost these like reflections of one another in terms of being a catalyst for an opportunity to completely change our lives and uproot everything that we were once doing. Because I think as human beings, we like the same thing. We like to know what to expect. We like, and and that can become really mundane and then that becomes our whole life. And then time, which is the most precious, valuable thing we have is just going by and going by and going by. And change is really hard to do without something kind of pushing us or forcing us to do it. Like having a baby forces us to completely uproot our lives as they, as they once were, right? COVID, this pandemic forces us to change everything that we did day to day. And so I just love that. I find that so inspiring and so beautiful that you became an entrepreneur. You took the reins of your own life and you chose to go in this different direction that seems like it's really suited you and serves you so much better. So I think COVID in that sense um, was kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Like there was this, like you said, silver lining to it that kind of for those of us who didn't suffer from it terribly with loss and things like that, um, it kind of did change our lives for the better in a lot of ways. Right. Yep. I agree. Um, yeah, I love, I love, I love all of that so much. So, yeah. So after this birth, birth experience and this whole like life change, you have a second child now. It seems like you always knew you wanted more children, and then your first experience made you rethink how many. <laughs> yeah. So my husband and I both always agreed to have three, and we have two. And we are done. <laughs> and I think that um, it's a combination of the, the births impacting that more like immediately. And then part of it is having our daughter and realizing it's harder than we thought it would be. And, you know, picturing our lives with how many children and what we just wanted the experience to look like and feeling um, like we would be complete with two. So that became our new plan. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, plans change. And a lot of it does have to do with how does your how did birth go for you? Did that change anything for you in terms of like 
mentally how you felt about it physically did something happen to your body that prevents you from having kids again because that's yep. also a possibility right so there's so many things that go into it and then once you have one and you're just trying to figure out how to get your life into a flow state again with this new child it's like okay how does how is it going to look to add another one and like the, and then another one and so yeah there's there's a lot of factors that go into it so how about let's hear about your second birth and then your second postpartum Yes. Um, similarly to my first birth, I feel like I was good in pregnancy, um, not like super eventful. I now had like this realization of there's just so much within your birth story that is completely outside of your control. So I was going into it, I think, with a better mindset of be as prepared as I can, do whatever I can for my body, um, make informed decisions, be an advocate for myself. But at the end of the day, this is something I'm doing to get me what I want, which is my baby boy, um, my second child. And however it goes, it could be 10 times worse or hopefully 10 times better than my first. What like I was at peace with like, whatever happens is going to happen. Um, so mentally, I went in it more prepared because of my first. Um, I also did, we gave ourselves more time than we had originally planned between our two children. We originally, with planning to have three, we were going to have our second one a little bit closer and we decided to wait a little bit longer as well. Um, and so everything was smooth with the pregnancy. I really didn't want to be induced. I was a little skeptical. I mean, there's a lot of different opinions out there, but I was a little skeptical of whether that impacted my slowing labor and needing to have a C-section. Of course, my doctors were assuring me like, no, 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 but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep it at, I don't know, but I really didn't want to be induced again. I really wanted to go into labor naturally. I was trying for a VBAC. I wanted to try for a vaginal birth again, but again, knowing like whatever happens to be prepared for a C-section. And um, I was able to go into labor naturally about just one day after my my due date. It was like the next, the next day. Um, and my mom was already here to be with my daughter. So my husband and I could go to the hospital. And before we went, we did what we were supposed to do, right? Call call the doctor, let them know how far apart things are. They told me to labor at home for a while. Don't like rush to the hospital. And I did that. And then once it got like closer, went to the hospital as we're all supposed to do. And when I went in to, it was like late at night when I went in and I was already having you know, my heavy contractions already feeling like, dang, like, here we go. Let's do this. And I didn't have that experience actually with my first because I was induced. So it was a little bit different of that, like waiting in the original lobby, right, for a triage room. Then they eventually take me back to the triage room and they let me know that there are no beds currently in, you know, like labor and delivery area, whatever. So I would have to stay in the triage until there was a bed. Well, I continued to progress hours and hours. Um, my contractions getting closer apart, way more intense. And to the point where I'm like, so when can I get this epidural though? And <laughs> the nurses are like, we don't give, you know, epidurals. We don't have the anesthesiologist come here and give epidurals. You cannot get one 
until you are in a room, until you're put in a bed. I was like, so how can I get a bed? And this is all like, you know, between contractions where like I don't handle pain well. <laughs> and, um, and I was basically told that there were like three women in front of me in line. And they're also doing it as like an ad need basis. So they're like, someone just came in and she's nine centimeters. So she's got the next bed and, you know, and so I could go on for a little longer, but basically I <laughs> labored in a triage room until I was like seven centimeters and more than ready for my epidural. I was like ready for my epidural like four hours before. <laughs> um, finally got put into a room. That in itself was very traumatizing <laughs> to me already because I was having this idea that, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to have this baby in a triage room bed, like with like just like the the curtains, you know, and like everyone can hear everyone. I mean, you could hear like a ton of women like laboring. And I was just like so mad at the doctor's office that I had called that told me to labor at home for a few hours. I was like, I should have been in here immediately when I started having these contractions so I could get in line for my bed. I was like, oh my gosh, nobody told me again. Nobody told me that I should go earlier in case this happens. So I get a bed, I get an epidural. I had an amazing, amazing nurse team. I will say that time I specifically remember like how amazing they were. I told them like, you know, look, I've got these fears. I have, I really, really want to have a V back. Like, how can you help me here um, to, to do this? And they were like really hands-on of getting me in different positions and trying to help me like getting the right amount of epidural as well so that like I had some movement and could do some different positions but still was like helping with some of the the horrible horrible pain and what ended up happening was one I, I wasn't able to be with my preferred doctor but I was with a doctor who I was very familiar with and was very familiar with my other doctor and everything and, and what my birth plan was but same thing where my labor stalled out. Um, it stalled out just around eight centimeters and it had been a really long time and they kept saying I needed a C-section. And I did know that for a certain point I could advocate for myself and say like, no, I do not want a C-section. I would like to keep trying to labor. And so I pushed as long as I possibly could. Um, eventually, like, you know, they tried some different things that they were going to do. We're going to try this. And eventually doctors like, we're going to try this. I'll give you, I'll have to put like a, she basically put a timer on it. Like we're going to try this. We'll give you three hours. We'll check again. If you haven't progressed, like at this point we're we're going to, we're starting to worry about this, 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 and you're going to need to have a C-section. So after pushing for as long as I could to keep waiting, um, I kind of became at peace with the idea of this isn't happening. It wasn't feeling like it was progressing to me either. For And it hadn't been feeling like that for a long time. So um, I went in and had a C-section. The C-section experience was much better. Second time, I think I mentally knew what it was going to be like. I had someone tell me the tongue trick, which worked. Um, they told me that in labor while I was on the table, the anesthesiologist, um, and it made it like way, way better. Um I was just calmer and had a, a great experience there. And then the immediate uh, recovery after as well was um, a lot, a lot better. I had no problems 
breastfeeding my son. And so that in itself, just like, you know, weight off my shoulders to know that's not going to be a whole thing because immediately I was able to latch. And again, I had to advocate for that. Um, You know, they wanted to take him away right away to do X, Y, Z. And I knew this time, which I didn't really know the first time, like I knew this time that I can say like, is there anything that is medically necessary or can I have my one hour or more of skin to skin until I get him latched? And I knew how to advocate for that. And so I felt like I was going into that experience much more prepared. Again, it didn't happen how I wanted it to happen. I didn't get my V back. I never will. But I feel very at peace that I, I gave it my best shot and that I had a better birthing experience and recovery for my second child. Yeah, I I think that because you went through that whole first experience, it's almost like a slight blessing in disguise because then you were prepared for like the worst case scenario, especially yeah. with your intrinsic fears and everything. So, and I love that tongue trick. That is the coolest resource for, for women that might need a C-section or, you know, in the moment, if they're having that, if they're experiencing that, they can, they can try that. That's really, really cool. So yeah, you tried for the VBAC, you didn't get it, but I love that you're at peace with the fact that that's just how it worked out. And hopefully your son is, healthy and you guys are all happy and you feel like your family's complete. Absolutely. Um, My son's name actually is Tazara, which in Shauna, which is um, my husband's first language, he's from Zimbabwe. So his first language is Shauna and both of our children have, have Shauna names. My son's name is Tazara, which translates to we're complete. Oh my God. I love that. That is, I love unique, beautiful names that have meaning like that. Well, I'm so happy for you guys. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. How was the, how was your postpartum, the breastfeeding obviously worked out, but once you got home, you have a second child. How did it, how did your postpartum go? Yeah, it went really well. Uh, definitely. I think the challenge of like for, our daughter was like two, you know, adjusting to having a a baby at home is definitely always a challenge. But what made the huge difference is like my physical recovery was so much better this time. Um, You know, I was moving up and walking a lot faster this time. I um, didn't have any issues with my incision, although I was quite paranoid about it for the first six weeks. Um, I was just so worried it was going to be infected. So the fear, a little bit of the anxiety was still there just because I was worried it was going to be, but it never was. Um, So my physical recovery being so much easier, I had such a positive like mental impact on me and like my whole family. And so I felt like we were able to kind of like move on, heal and start like experiencing family as a family of four quickly um, instead of feeling like before, like with my daughter having to like wait so long until I felt like I could even physically do things. So um, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful experience. And I, I will say too that I was able to give myself, because I worked for myself, I was able to save up money and actually give myself a three-month paid maternity leave and then return very part-time from home um, after as well. So my son is about to turn one um, and he's actually never been in childcare. He's, He's home with me while I work. That is so amazing. I want that for every every woman that wants to be home with their children, but also wants to be able to work and provide financially. Like that is the ultimate. <laughs> I, I just, I love that so much. Um, 
So that's so good. This this postpartum was much better. You healed up like a yes. lot better, it sounds like, which is wonderful to hear. Um, I'm sure you were really scared that there was a possibility that something could go wrong again. So I'm really glad it didn't. Um, and you know that, you know, you're your family's complete now. So I won't ask if you want any more children because we already went over that. But um, I would say I would say like 90% no, my husband would say 120% no. More. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I can truthfully say that I 100% understand where you're coming from with that sentiment. Because after I had my daughter, I was like, hell no, like 10,000% never having another kid in my life. <laughs> and it was like a totally quote unquote normal birth. So I totally get it. Um, uh, we were, we're of course considering having a second now, but like in the future, but yeah, anyway, I totally get <laughs> yeah, it. People can always change their mind. They can always change their mind. But I said, it'll be a little weird if we change our mind considering our son's name, but you never know. Yeah. Also mistakes <laughs> yeah. happen. You never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do never know. There are no absolutes in life. Right. Um, <laughs> are there any postpartum resources or even like birth resources? I usually ask for postpartum since that's kind of like the main, you know, goal of the of the podcast. But any resources in general that you want to share with the listeners? Of course, yourself as a sleep consultant. Right. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, just connect with me on on social media. I have a lot of free content. Um, at nights underscore and naps. My business is called nights and naps. And so Instagram and TikTok is where you'll find uh, most of my free content there as well. And then I am now not only doing sleep consulting, but I'm actually focusing on training, mentoring, certifying um, other women to become sleep consultants themselves. And so I'm doing a certification program where they can learn both the sleep side of actually how to help families to drastically improve sleep, as well as the business side. Like, so how, you know, do you do this crazy thing called entrepreneurship? Um, how do you find clients? How do you put together programs and actually sell them and make money from it? Um, so I've put together a program where women can learn both, where women can work part-time hours from home with kids at home if they want or send them to daycare. That's fine too. Um, and generate full-time income from, from this part-time work. So if any of your listeners is interested, if they also like learning about sleep or have done sleep training with their own children or are considering doing sleep training and just want to learn more about that and sleep science and the possibility of becoming a sleep consultant, I have a free guide to starting a sleep consulting side hustle from home. Um, so I'll make sure that, you know, you can give that free guide to your listeners and link that somewhere so that they can check that out. Um, and then you'll also find stuff over on my Instagram and TikTok about that as well. So that's my, my newest, uh, endeavor that I'm super excited about because I also love just like empowering moms to be able to make these decisions that we were talking about today, like that I was able to do helping other moms to make those same decisions decisions and have that same success and flexibility and what I like to call family first freedom. That's what I feel like that I've been able to get from my change of career. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yes. So we will definitely link, I'll definitely link all that. Your, your, your handle where people can find you. You can give me the guide. I'll put that all in the show notes. Um, so useful. I think that what you're doing is 
so impactful and just so important. So thank you so much for not only coming on and sharing your story, but also helping other moms and empowering other moms out there. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like you asked me earlier if I was ever able to like talk through my birth experience or I don't know how you worded it of like, you know, and it's like, well, now I have, I just, I did it with Natalie on this podcast. I was able to, you know, talk about my birth experiences. I've never talked about them this much with anyone ever um, and get that out there. So this was a great experience for me too. I look forward to connecting with some of your listeners and listening to some other episodes of your podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Thank you so, so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review. I appreciate each and every one of your reviews as they help this podcast get more attention and that helps spread the truth about postpartum.